Good evening, church. We good? We good. your mic on? No, I'm very much louder than you. You can probably mute me because I'm going to leave it to her for a little while. I'm the chatty one. Cool. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jessie. I'm the very lucky wife to Tom. Um, and we are coming up on our one year anniversary already. Six short weeks or so. So we've made it. Woo! Yeah. I really love that we're doing this series. Um, I think it's so important we talk about it in the church. And I love that we're doing this topic. Um, For those of you who don't know, we are tackling pornography tonight. And I think it's really important that we have um, a space to be able to have that conversation. Um, Before I go further, I just want to say that um, what my story that I'm about to share um, expects a lot of trust. And... um, it's not a secret, but um, it is my story, and I would like to be the one to tell it. So, when I was a little girl, uh, I learnt the verse, um, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And when I was about seven or eight, I got the opportunity to put that into practice, where um, we moved house, and we started going on school bus, and there were these 10 to 12 graders who uh, loved to swear. And being from a Christian home and going to a Christian school, this was my first real exposure to it. And so it was incredibly jarring, but also slightly intriguing that, um, yeah, these new words that I had just discovered. And so I started to play around with it and entertain the idea of what would it sound like if I were to say it. Now, I'd never say it out loud because back then smacks were more acceptable, so I knew I would get a smack. Uh, So I would just say it in my mind and I would test what it would sound like. Um, But it got to the point where um, I became consumed by these swear words. So any time that um, I wasn't consciously thinking about something, the swear words would come back. And when I was going to sleep, I would just have this train of swear words going through my head all the time. And I was completely trapped by it. And then one day, this verse uh, popped back into my mind. All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I took that extremely literally So I geared myself up and I'm like, this is the moment. And so I said, Jesus. And as soon as I finished saying it, the swear words came back. And they were in a steady train again. And I just knew that God was faithful. And I knew that he wouldn't put that verse in my mind if he couldn't deliver on it. And so I said it again, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I would repeat that every night, anytime I had a blank moment, over and over again. Not leaving any gap in between where a swear word would come in. And I did that for months. I did that for probably about four to five months until one day I noticed, I wasn't thinking about anything and I noticed that there was silence and that God had healed me from it. Amen. Um, So it's a really cute story. Thank you. Yeah, it is a cute story. Um, But I really believe that God was using that as training for uh, what would come in my life. So when I was 14, um, I came across something that no child or adult should ever, ever have to see. Um, And it was a pornographic ad. And I remember being so jarred when I saw it, so um, grossed out, I immediately clicked out of the window and I shut the computer down and I went away. But as ads do, they come back and um, I just became more and more comfortable with it being there. This is just the internet, it's just staying there. 
Um, and then I became curious, so I looked at it, and I became more and more comfortable until one day I clicked. And it was a very downhill, rapid spiral from there, where I was just consumed by watching this material, and I would source it wherever I could, however I could, for as long as I could, and um, nobody knew. It's complete, yeah, I was very ashamed and couldn't tell anyone about it. And um, I did that for 18 months, where I was just feeding that addiction. And um, I, there was no singular point where I realized it was wrong. Of course, I knew it was wrong, um, but I felt completely trapped and entangled in it and um, completely alone. And I felt like I had tried everything. I would make a commitment. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to read it anymore. Um, I'm not going to think about it. And then that would last a month, a week, a day, and I would come back and I couldn't get out of it. And then my training kicked in and, um, yeah, God brought that, voice, that verse back to my mind. All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I just knew that if he would deliver me like that when I was a little girl, of course, he would deliver me now. Um, and so I started to just repeat the name of Jesus over and over again. And it took over a year, it took a really long time. And there's a lot in that process that um, I don't have time to share. And I would happily chat with you about at another point. But I just want you to know it wasn't a rapid, instant fix. But I knew that God was so faithful and he wanted to deliver me from that. And so I stuck at it. And any time I thought or any time I was tempted or any time I was going to sleep and I knew it would come back in, I would just repeat the name of Jesus over and over again. Um, and I can say that um, if it wasn't for him, that I would still be in that space. And I know that his wounds have healed me and that I am redeemed and made new. And God did such a work in my heart during that process where, um, where I was once secretly sourcing it and trying to find it and put it in um, any chance I could. He then turned that into being completely repelled by it and disgusted by it and hating it. And I would instantly click out. I have no, no attachment, no desire to be there again. Um, he took away the shame of it all and he brought really beautiful... Christ-hearted, Christ-minded people into my life to keep me accountable and to love me through that shame because um, that's just the most crippling part about it is that you feel like you can't talk to anyone about it or that, yeah, you're the worst sinner. You're the worst one. And he cleaned me so that when I stood before Tom on our wedding day that I was pure and that I was clean and healed and without blemish or impurity. And um, when I think about it now, it feels like such a lifetime ago. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> feels like such a lifetime ago that that was ever part of me. But um, I think that it highlights something really important, which is that um, pornography isn't just an unchurched 13-year-old boy's problem, but it's girls and women and older men and younger women. It's everyone's problem. Um, and we need to be championing each other alongside um, and through that process. But, yeah, God healed me through that, and I will thank him for that every day for the rest of my life.
awesome. And look, we're, we're limited with how much time we have to, to talk about this topic here tonight. But, you know, I, I would love to be able to, to share my story in full as well. Um, or even Jess has only been able to share a snippet of hers. But, you know, my story looks very similar to hers. Um, but we're going we're gonna to continue on this topic and look at... Um, and look at what the Bible has to say about this and try and explore, explore it from that perspective. But the reality is, I think that some people here tonight probably almost, you're thinking like, we almost made it out, you know, of the relationship series without having to go here. Um, but if we had done that, the reality is that this thing called pornography would continue to wreak havoc in some of your lives for as long as it took for us to then come back to this topic again. And we don't want that to happen. So tonight is about believing that freedom can come to your life. So as we get started here tonight, um, I'd love to start with prayer. Um, And then um, at the end of my prayer, I'd love to give an opportunity to you guys, um, as I bring the word here tonight, for you to pray for me as well, that this time would be um, useful and that my words would ultimately be what God wants to say. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace and that it's so much greater than our sin and that it's so much greater than anything that we could do, any mistake that we could make. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God, we, we thank you for your truth, the truth of your word, that, that in a world that um, is becoming increasingly confused that we have an absolute source of truth that we can draw from. So tonight, God, I pray against our own opinions. God, I pray against our own biases. I pray against anything that we want to be true and believe that your truth is going to descend. That's what's going to speak loudest here tonight. And it's through that truth that we will see freedom come into this place tonight, God. That's what we're believing for. We're believing for freedom for the single. We're believing for marriages to be saved because of your word here tonight. And we're believing for relationships to begin to be restored as we look into this subject here. We pray. And I just invite you, just take a moment if you would pray for me and the word that I'm about to bring. Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, I'm noticing there's some issues with the mic, so if we need to switch to a handheld, um, I'm more than happy to do that. I think that might actually be the better option, so not sure if someone wants to try and get a handheld to me uh, at some point. Oh, uh, yeah, I suppose we can, we can share. We live in the same household. All right, cool. We'll do the, do the changeover. All right, one, one, two, hey, that sounds so much better. All right. Now, firstly, where I want to start here tonight is I want um, you guys to know that for Jess and me, the way that we understand our ministry together for God's kingdom is that it is a partnership in every way. And that means that every message I have ever given from this platform, even before we were married, actually, all throughout um, our dating and engagement, I ran past her first, including this one. 
There is not a message I give up here that doesn't go through the Jessie filter. Um, so if you've ever gotten anything out of any of my messages, she is a big part of that, okay? So I want you to know that. So as I bring this message, I just want you to know that this is really our heart for what we're talking about here tonight um, as we tackle this subject. I think that for some of us, we might find it easy to actually just disengage straight away from this topic because we think it's not relevant to us. That could be for a few reasons. Number one could be just because you're not currently struggling with pornography. But I do want to challenge you that this message is really relevant for everyone because either pornography is affecting your life right now, and you might not even be aware of how it is, or it is affecting the life of someone that's close to you. And more often than not, we don't even know that it is. So tonight, I'm going to be speaking from a position that, in essence, is going to be directed to the person who is in the midst of this right now in their life. But I want you to know that if you're not, it's still relevant for you because in a year, you might be. Or even if outside of that, there might actually be an opportunity for you to be able to walk alongside and journey with someone who is in the midst of it. And some of these truths I hope that we understand from God's word might be able to be helpful to us in that. So when we conceptualized, Jess and I came up with the idea for the message, we originally gave it the title, Practice the Promise. Now, if I'm honest with you, I don't like that title anymore. Uh, And the reason I don't like it is because it kind of communicates it's just relevant to the single. Um, You know, it's the opportunity before you're married, before you're in a relationship, to practice the promise you one day make. And I still think there's a bit of truth there. So I just want to spend a little bit of time on that idea before we move on. Because I do think as a single person, it is far easier to justify an addiction to pornography in your life. Even though we know it's wrong, because we keep falling back into it, we start to create justifications in our mind that say things like, it's not hurting anyone. And and if it is hurting anyone, it's only hurting me and I'm dealing with it. And I really want to challenge that because it is hurting people. And it's not just hurting you, it's actually hurting your future relationships. It's hurting your future spouse. Because I do believe that God can bring absolute healing to this. But there's still baggage that comes along with it that you have to navigate through. So this time of singleness is a real time to to practice the promise that you one day will make. I definitely believe that. But it doesn't actually also just affect your future relationships, um, your future spouse, but it affects your current relationships with your friends and with your family. And for anyone who has been in this addiction or is in this addiction right now, you would understand this because I believe there's people here tonight who are actually not living their lives because of this addiction. Well, you're actually not even going out and hanging out with friends and doing activities that you want to be doing because you're just looking for the next opportunity where you're going to be by yourself. So that you can continue to feed this thing. That's your priority in your life right now. And I know that there's someone here who wants freedom from that tonight. But this topic isn't just relevant to the single. That's the reality of it. It affects a lot more people than just that. And even the person who is in a relationship or married can actually find themselves justifying it. So what I would like to say is that You could call this message, practice the promise, maybe if you are a single person, but if you're a married person or in a relationship, then maybe we can reframe that and call it keeping the promise. Because if pornography can affect your future relationships, it can definitely affect your current ones. And usually that effect is far greater than we realize. 
So, I don't think I need to sell the issue to you. I think that we probably recognize, we understand pornography is an issue. But just let's get some context around how much of an issue it is as we get started. Let's have some statistics thrown our way, all right? The average age of first exposure to pornography is currently nine years old. That's not the earliest. That's the average now. Another study showed that 94% of children would have, first, um, would have seen pornography by the time they're 14. Right? When the most crucial time of sexual development is happening within a young person is the first time that they're exposed to the most distorted view of sexuality. And I think we probably underestimate how much impact that is having over upcoming generations right now, over our society as a whole. Different studies give us different um, statistics, but they all kind of center around this figure, that a third of women and three quarters of men admit to viewing porn monthly. And those numbers actually rise as you look at the young adult age bracket of 18 to 30. Another study showed that more than 50% of divorces noted that one individual's obsession with pornography was a key factor in leading to their divorce. Now, the most painful thing to see about all of these statistics is that studies that are done on the secular world and then studies that are done purely on the church show that there's little to no difference on any of this, inside or outside the church. And we start to see that the enemy has been using this thing called pornography to entangle so many Christians and stop them from being able to be effective for the work of God's kingdom. And I just think that is such a sad reality that we're living in. And it's about time that we said enough is enough as a church. And we take a stand for purity, for the sake of God's kingdom. So it probably wouldn't surprise you to know that the word pornography isn't in the Bible. Um, you might think that's because it really wasn't an issue of that day and age, but that's actually not the case because the root word pornography, pornea, the Greek word, it actually appears a number of times throughout scripture. Uh, and this word gets translated in different ways. It gets translated as fornication. It gets translated as adultery. It gets translated in contexts surrounding uh, prostitution. It really gets translated anytime sexuality is used outside of the way that God created it to be used. And that's really what pornography is. Pornography is just one avenue in which you can uh, undergo sexual immorality. It's one uh, avenue in which you can use sexuality outside of the way God intended it. And it's really just, pornography has really just made it easier for our society. Because it no longer, sexual immorality no longer requires two parties to be involved, but it just requires one party. And it only, and it can even require that one party to be locked in a room with no one even knowing what's happening. So the access is really what's changed. But this wasn't an issue, um, sorry, this isn't just an issue of today, it was an issue of Jesus' time. And for that reason, we actually have a lot of truth to draw on in the Word of God. It isn't quiet about this issue. It actually is very loud about this issue. So that's what we're going to do tonight. I'm not here to give you a practical guide on how to rid yourself of a pornography addiction. I think there's plenty of people far more qualified than me to do that with PhDs and all that kind of stuff. So I think you can Google, you can find those kinds of guides. What I want to do and what I believe we should be doing as the church is turning to God's word and trying to understand what his truth has to say about this particular topic. So that's the angle I want to bring to us here tonight. So I want to tackle a few, few kind of um, ideas that sit under the banner of pornography and look at what uh, God's word says about those ideas. So the first one is shame. 
And I don't think we can um, escape shame when we talk about this subject, because shame is so relevant here. In fact, I would say that there is no greater single emotion that we encounter more when trying to overcome an addiction to pornography than the emotion of shame. Um, let me kind of help you see this. So, for example, if we got to the end of the night and some of you guys want to make a commitment to just stepping into freedom, that, that you are ready to move past this thing that you know, has, has trapped you for so long, I think that's an amazing commitment if you're going to be able to make that tonight. And you might even make that commitment to God and you say, I'm done, Right? And depending on how disciplined you are, you might go okay, and you might last a month, you might last, you know, a week, you might last only a day, I don't know. But there will come a point when you do blow it. There will come a point when you do blow it. And I don't want to diminish how powerful our God can be in breaking chains over our lives, but I also don't want to diminish how powerful our sinful nature is. And what it continually wants to lead us back to. So there will come a point when you blow it. And in those moments, for those of us who have been there right after you've looked at that website, you've gone there again when you swore you wouldn't. I I just think the enemy loves when we make promises to God that we have absolutely no chance of keeping. Because in those moments, he just amplifies the shame that we experience. And then what do we do? What's our reaction when we're in that space? Rather than, probably because I think we don't fully embrace the truth of the gospel, rather than running to God, we retreat away from him. In fact, the shame, it often actually pulls us right back to where we swore we would never end up again. And it's really counterintuitive when we think about it. Because the shame actually ends up pulling us away from the one thing that can give us strength to get back up stronger than when... Um, before we fell. But if we just think about it for a moment, if you can just think back to a time where you've maybe been in that similar position, where you've just committed that sin again, how hard is it to open the Word of God in that moment? How hard is it to pray in that moment? Like your relationship with God is the last thing you want to think about in that moment, and that's how powerful shame can be. That's what shame does. That's how the enemy uses shame. And it it spirals us into this circle of addiction that we just can't seem to break free from. I want to read from 1 John. This is what it says. It says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as, as, as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I just want to read this part of it again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, for some of us here tonight, I don't think there's probably a single verse in my message that's more relevant to your life right now than this. Because what you're doing is you're living two lives. We're in Christian culture around your Christian friends, in youth group, around church. You have fellowship with God. You read your Bible, you pray, you talk about Christian things. And meanwhile, in the background, an addiction to pornography is destroying any remnants of a real relationship with God. See, as this scripture says, we can't just say we have fellowship with him. It's actually through fellowship with him 
that we find freedom from this. And we see this in John chapter 8 where Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I think that we read scriptures like this far too often as though it's a one-time commitment. Like you become a Christian and, you know, you're following Jesus. But that's not the reality of what this is communicating. It's an everyday commitment. It's an every time you fall commitment. And we know this truth. Many of us have heard this truth. But we still fail to practice it because of the power of shame in our life. That in those situations, shame still manages to pull us away. Rather than us making an intentional decision to move towards God in the midst of that situation. This is what it says in Hebrews. It says, For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are. Including pornea, including sexual immorality. Yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This scripture is here for us for a reason. I believe it's acknowledging that this isn't our default. In these situations, we have to actually make an intentional decision to do this. And if we're not thinking about it, then the natural tendency will be for us to pull away from God and get stuck straight back into that cycle that we've been trying to break free from. This is what Isaiah says. He says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is what God brings to us in those situations. He brings strength to allow us to get better, allow us to get up better equipped, better prepared to tackle this thing until we blow it again and do the same thing, get up stronger, better equipped, better prepared to tackle this thing again. And each time we find ourselves struggling a little less, see, shame wants to stop us from doing that because shame knows that Jesus and his light is going to bring freedom. So we have to make an intentional decision. I just want to be really practical for for you guys for a moment because what does this mean for our lives? It means that the next time you blow it, whether it's tomorrow, the next day, in a week, a month, six months from now, the next time you blow it, I want you to make an intentional decision despite everything in you that will be telling you to run away from God. I want you to make an intentional decision to pick up a Bible, open it, and read it. Right? And allow the truth of God to start to restore you, to bring healing. And then I want you to make an intentional decision to get on your knees and to pray. And to repent and to ask for forgiveness and allow God to bring restoration and to bring healing. I think you'll be amazed at the transformation that takes place. Do not allow shame to have the louder voice in our lives. The second idea I want to explore here tonight is the idea of provision. 
Now, provision is something we typically look at as a positive thing. It's providing something, right? But when we look at provision in the context of sexual immorality, it is not something we want to have anything to do with. So I want to kind of um, look at this idea that, in essence, I think we live in a pornographic culture. That would be my argument, that we live in a pornographic culture. And I think this is what makes dealing with pornography so difficult. And I also think this is what has caused pornography to become such a big issue within the church walls. It's because everything in our culture has now become pornography. What I mean is that we as a society, and I honestly actually think we as, as the church, the bride of Christ, have also done this. We have moved the line in which we say something becomes pornography pornography or pornographic, so far past how God defines sexuality that now we're seeing pornographic things in our everyday life. I'll explain it to you this way. Let's just say we have a scale on the screen there. I think we're going to have a scale. And let's just say that at one end of that scale, we have purity. And at the other end of that scale, we have hardcore pornography. Just think about where you would put yourself on that scale in terms of your everyday life, how you live your everyday life. The movies that we watch, the TV shows that we watch, the content that we consume. Well, I would say as a society that we sit around the three to four marker. I'm not talking about society outside of the church either. I actually think this is where we sit often within Christian culture, at the three to four marker. Just in the TV shows, the movies, right, the conversations that we have on a day-to-day basis. Or even things that we don't have control over, like TV commercials or, or music videos that are thrown in front of us, or the outfits that people wear, right? Pornography is surrounding us in all aspects. And you see what is happening is that we are trying to tackle the 9 and the 10 issue in our life too often with, um, without even acknowledging that there is a 3 or 4 issue. Because we've become so desensitized to this that we don't see the three and the four as an issue. But the reality is it's a provision in our life that is creating a pathway that will continually lead us back to the nine and tens. We can't tackle the problem if we're ignoring the cause. Romans speaks into this idea. In Romans 13, this is what it says. It says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We're seeing these words again. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Now, I reckon that's a word some people didn't even realize was in the Bible. Now, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make This is what I want us to capture here, right? Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When it comes to sexual immorality, there is no gray area in the Bible. And the Bible makes it clear that sexual sin is unlike other sins. It's more enticing and it's more destructive. So it says have nothing to do with it because even when you allow a little bit to creep into your life, it escalates. And I know people in this room have experienced this where what started as something so small escalated to a point that led you to somewhere you really never thought you would end up. And that's what sexual immorality does. 
This isn't the only scripture that speaks to it. In Galatians, we see this. We say, now the deeds of the flesh are evidence. This is talking about our inward desires. The deeds of the flesh are evident. They're immorality, impurity, sensuality. In Colossians, it therefore says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. 1 Corinthians says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Like that's, that's as obvious as you can get. Another translation just says, run from it. Get out of there. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. And 2 Timothy says this when he shared this a few weeks ago. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And just one more from Ephesians. This is what Paul says. He says, but among you, he's talking to the church, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. The Bible doesn't leave any question here. It says that there's no room for any amount of sexual immorality in our lives. And yet, we have become comfortable and desensitized to the threes and the fours in our lives. Not recognizing how much they are actually leading us. And how much they are actually creating a pathway for us to end up at the nine and the ten. So I want to kind of bring this a bit closer to home. A little bit less abstract for a moment. So, one of the most popular TV series in recent years is a TV series called Game of Thrones. And I know I'm going to start to lose people straight away here. And I don't think Game of Thrones is pornography. But I do think it has a lot of pornography in it. This TV series is so popular... That I would have, this happened to me on multiple occasions. I would have people come up to me and they would talk to me as though I just watched last night's episode. Like they didn't ask that I watched the series. They just assumed that I watched the series because it was just so popular. And then I'd be like, no, I don't watch Game of Thrones. And I'd be like, what? Like, are you even human? Like kind of thing. Uh, And this would happen again and again because this TV series has become so popular. And it's just one example of a three or a four or maybe even a five or a six that we're allowing into our lives. And we're allowing to create a provision in our lives. And I know that some people here tonight, immediately you're creating a justification in your mind. Where you're saying, no, I watch it for the action. I watch it for the fantasy. I close my eyes in like the naughty parts. You know, right? But this is why I prayed at the beginning of the service that our own opinions and our own thoughts would fall away. And that even what we want to be true would fall away. Because I'm not giving you my own opinion tonight. I'm giving you what the Word of God says, and what the Word of God says is make no provision. It doesn't say do as much as you can handle. It doesn't say close your eyes in the parts you shouldn't be watching. It says make no provision because it is identifying that there's something here that as soon as we allow a little bit in, we will not be able to stop it. That there should not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. Now, I want to go one more example. Let's go a step further. Because I don't think it's actually just in TV shows and movies, but I think that it can also 
extend a bit further than that. There's a really popular game um, in our world at the moment, all across the world. There's a game called Cards Against Humanity. And this game, for those who don't know, involves matching two cards together, a sentence card and a word card, and you try to create the funniest answer. And often, the funniest answer is the most graphic sexual answer, because what these cards do is they create graphic sexual scenarios, oftentimes that talk about pedophilia and all sorts of horrific things. And the sad reality is that this game has become quite commonplace in Christian circles as well. I know because I've played it more times than I would like to admit. And I played it in groups of just Christians and we didn't even see an issue with this. And what we start to see is the line has moved far from what the Bible says about this. That we should have no provision. There should not be a hint of sexual immorality. And yet we're just plastering our lives with provisions and we're wondering why pornography has become such an issue within the church. I just want to tell us right now that if we're trying to deal with the nine and the ten in our life, but we're refusing to acknowledge the three and the four, we're just going to continually be keeping leading ourselves back there. I know that's not what we want. I don't want you to think I'm being a bit legalistic about this kind of idea. Because I've wrestled with these things. But the reality is, as someone who has journeyed through this, I can start to see that these warnings are there for a reason. And I believe that every one of us as Christians needs to be challenged by this. I believe as a church, we need to find our purity again. We need to move that line back to where it belongs, where God says it should be, how he defines sexuality, and allow that to start to inform everything about our lives, our conversations, the movies, the YouTube videos that we watch. Make no provision for the flesh. Just gratify its desires. I think that's a challenge not just to the porn addict, but that's a challenge just to the Christian in reality. I feel this challenge as well. But actually, if we can just get really practical for a moment, because I think if you're currently struggling with porn and you are watching MA plus material, that's just a bad decision. Like, I think if you're currently feeling the pull of porn in your life, you should be eliminating any MA and plus material. And, like, this is where it's just my opinion. I'd want you to know that. But I do think that you should be very careful with um, what material you're allowing into your life. And you should be also very careful with what M-rated material you're allowing into your life. And just as a side note, this is just an off-the-cuff thing. But for Jesse and myself, what, something that we've um, implemented, and we probably need to do this even more common than we already do, is before we watch a TV series or a movie that we think might have something that's just not good for our souls, you know, we'll go onto IMDb, we'll go to the Parents' Guide section, which is normally used for parents to see if it's appropriate for their kids, and we will look at what this TV series or movie has in it and whether there's anything that we shouldn't be consuming. Why? Because we want to eliminate the provisions. And we've identified how important that is. The last point that I want to tackle here tonight is the power of accountability. And I feel like we're just on a downward spiral. It's just getting worse and worse for you guys, I know. All right? Like, some of you were with me until this point because you were like, at least I can do that stuff by myself. 
Um, but now it's like, I've got to bring someone else on board. No, thank you. Because we're talking about one of the most shame-filled, vulnerable areas of our lives. But the reality is, and we say this so often at Door of Hope because it's so true, is that we were created to do life together. We were created to do life in community. We were created to do life in relationships. So doesn't it just make so much sense that that is where we will find the strength to overcome our greatest trials in life? I think that you could easily agree with that, but that still doesn't take away the fact that you don't want to tell anyone about this. It doesn't make it any easier But the reality is that we need to be able to let go of our pride if we want to fully be able to surrender this to God. This is what it says in James. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I used to hate this verse, right? But the reality is it's there for a reason. And I can't um, excuse all of the stories that I have encountered where people have found freedom through an accountability-based partnership with someone. I heard uh, one just the other day where someone was so ready to find freedom in this area of their life and they knew their friend was struggling with it as well. So they made a commitment with their friend. They're like, look, if we look at it or even if we masturbate, we're going to pay the other person $100. Right, we're we're gonna be we're gonna be real about this. We're gonna you know call them up. This is I owe you a hundred bucks. Because what they were doing was they were making the short term consequence greater than the short term satisfaction. Because too many of us are trying to beat this thing with just the promise of the long term reward, so far off in the distance, like freedom and restoration of relationships, which is all great. But the way our minds work is that the short term satisfaction will always win out over the long term reward. So they created a short term consequence that was greater than the short term reward, and this led to freedom. But the reason it led to freedom was because of accountability. It was because of transparency and consistency because accountability relationship needs those two things needs a a space where you can be transparent with someone you can be fully vulnerable with them but it also needs regular intervention i would say you almost needs weekly intervention and i just want to challenge for a second um parents for a moment. I want to acknowledge when I do this that I am not a parent, so I don't want to tell you how to parent, but I do want to speak to you as someone who's journeyed through this myself, that if you discover that a child is looking at pornography, a one-time conversation and locking up their computer with every filter that you can think will do nothing. It, It won't solve the issue. They will find it, and it will not attack the root cause of the issue there needs to be an accountability-based approach where you can foster um, a vulnerable culture where you can have an open conversation about it regularly. Say, how are we going? Oh, okay, we've mucked up. What what got us there? And there's, there's grace to catch them because that is so crucial. Accountability extends, I think, across ages. 
But the, the reality is this point that I'm talking about right now is probably the hardest to implement in your life. But out of everything that I've talked about tonight, it is also going to be the most influential. If you take anything away from this message, take this. Find an accountability partner. If this is a struggle in your life, find an accountability partner. Because without it, you're just trying to do it alone, and that just will never work. Even if you get rid of the provisions, even if you you understand that you need to run to God, you still need someone else there to pray and to support you. And I can't stress enough how significant that is. I want to invite the team up. I'm, I'm almost done here. Because there's one last verse that I want to share with you guys um, on this idea. And this was a verse that gave me a lot of grief um, through my teenage years. It's a verse that I really struggled with. It brought a lot of confusion to me. And it made me doubt God in a lot of different ways. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now this verse just felt like a slap in the face for me for so many years. Because here I was, having prayed what felt like a thousand different prayers crying out to God again and again just saying, God, there is no way out. I knew this verse and I'd be like, God, I I know you say you provide a way out, but I cannot see it. And I didn't for a moment doubt that God could bring freedom, but I doubted that he wanted to. I doubted his willingness and his faithfulness to me. And that's because I was reading this verse without acknowledging any of the rest of scripture at all. Because the reality is that God has provided a way of escape through his word. He has provided a way of escape in showing us that in moments of shame, we shouldn't be pulling away from him, but we should actually be pressing into him. That that's where we find strength. That's where we find restoration. You know, he's provided an escape by revealing to us and warning us the dangers of provisions in your life. That as long as we're allowing things into our life, that uh, communicate a distorted view of sexuality, then we're going to be creating a pathway back to where we don't want to go. And he's created an escape through verses like we just read in James that highlight the importance of an accountability-based relationship, that highlight the importance of journeying with this in community. And here I was thinking that just... God saved me was all I needed to do. No, God's laid out a plan for us. We might not like it, but that's irrelevant. That's the plan that's given to us. And if you're serious about finding freedom, if you're serious about wanting to beat this thing in your life, then you are going to have to allow yourself to let go of pride and to come to God in full surrender. And if you're not ready to do that, then you're not ready to beat this thing. That's that's the question we have to ask ourselves. But I know there's people here tonight who are struggling with this. Because the statistics are quite clear that 50% of this room would be struggling with this. On all different levels. 
And this has been probably one of my hardest messages to prepare because this is a really personal thing for me. And I've had to come to the understanding that no matter how much time I put into this, no matter how great a message I could ever give, there's going to be people who still walk away from this tonight entangled in this thing. Because there comes a time where it's on you guys for the response. It comes a time where it becomes your intentionality that will take this thing further. But I want you to know that you don't have to leave this place alone fighting this thing by yourself. We're going to have an opportunity. I'm going to come back up after and we're going to have an opportunity for prayer. And I encourage you, let go of your pride tonight. Don't allow this thing to steal another day of your life. Because I believe there is freedom waiting for each and every person here tonight. So I just want to pray for you as we finish right now. God, we thank you for your grace and your redeeming power. God, that no matter how many times we fall, no matter how many times we fall, 100, 200, 1,000, 10,000, you are still there waiting. A grace that we will never understand. But God, tonight we embrace that grace and we ask that that grace would start to speak louder over us than the shame that might still exist in our hearts. God, we pray that healing would begin right now the restoration would begin right now, that your presence would start to descend and that people would encounter peace. God, and for the, for the conviction that you've brought, that God, we pray that that conviction, it doesn't go unactioned, but it leads people to something tonight, that it leads people to the freedom that you have waiting for them. So right now, God, we declare that this is a changing moment for people right now, that this is an anchor that people will look back on and be like, this is when it changed. This is when I stepped from death to life. This is when I stepped from being a slave to freedom, God. This is when addiction was destroyed in my life. And we believe that that is what is going to take place right now in the name of Jesus. That's what we declare here as we continue to worship you. Amen.